This episode originally aired around June 2017, so the info is not current. Go support some other great independent, listener-supported podcasts that bring unique, important, and engaging programs to the public. Women in Archaeology. Yes, they're independent, so update your podcast feeds and make sure you're subscribed to the correct one. Archie Fantasies, the mythbusters of archaeology, have gone indie. And as always, curiosity and focus. If you're curious about anything, this podcast is for you. Listen for more episodes from the archives as I work my way back in time until all 29 of the back catalog shows are back out there. New Go Dig a Hole episodes are coming in June 2018, so stay tuned. Welcome to the 26th episode of the Go Dig a Hole podcast. On today's show, I have a heart-to-heart with an old friend, Kathleen Paul. She's a PhD candidate at Arizona State University who studies bioanthropology and has been developing new methods to study human teeth. It's field season for many archaeologists, in the northern hemisphere at least, and this is a special field season for me. It marks a decade since the first time in the field. Kathleen was there with me, and we stayed friends since, even though we've each taken some pretty meandering paths through our careers. So here's a look back at a decade in the field. So we started, we we met a decade ago, like almost almost to the day, probably maybe a week from now, a, a decade ago in Belize. And it was my first time doing archaeological field work. Uh, was it yours as well? It was mine. Yeah, it was my first time uh, participating in a field school or any type of archaeological dig. And it actually blows my mind that that was a decade ago. Oh, dear Lord. <laughs> yeah. It, it's funny how time flies and it was like in in the moment uh especially those those early years it, it certainly didn't feel like time was flying um no <laughs> but it's cool to look back on that and so uh you and i met uh in belize it was we were working with bivar the belize valley archaeological reconnaissance project it was led by julie hogarth and still is and she's changed a lot of schools um and she's taken on a lot of cool projects. And it's been really cool to track the research that has come out of that program. Uh, there have been so many people involved in it, you know, just since we were introduced to it. And it's kind of cool to run across Bivar alum. And, you know, I'm, I'm sure we're probably long forgotten, but it's cool to run across them and they'll be like, oh, are, are you with Bivar? And I was like, well, I, I was. And yeah. You know, oh, then they'll hear about, you know, working at Baking Pot the first time around and they're like, oh, my God, you were part of that crew. Yeah, it was because I was actually just recently talking to someone who had started working there a year or two ago. Um, who I met through someone that's been involved with the project. Um, Raf Guerra has been with that project for a long time and he was just in town visiting and I met with this this woman and she said she was now working in Lower Dover. And I said, oh, gosh, I think the first year we were there, they were just surveying that site. But yeah, (laughs) yeah. So it's funny because at the time, you know, that was my only uh, experience with the project. But talking to people who have been working with them over a long period of time, you just see how much they've actually done in terms of archaeological research and field training, working at several sites across that valley. So that's pretty, pretty great. (laughs) 
It's very cool. And it's also neat to, to, you know, like here we are a decade on and uh, like, I haven't seen you all that often, but you know, it, it's, our friendship has remained. And, you know, like I, I came by and visited you and your family recently on my way cross country with uh, Adrian. And um, it's just cool how the people you meet along the path of, of being an archaeologist and, and just working in anthropology, they become family and they become far flung. And it's cool to keep in touch with them. And then every now and then revisit and reconnect and, and all that and pick up, you know, oftentimes right where you left off. It's so true. There are definitely people from, I mean, especially that first year, I don't know if it was just that the experience was all the more saturated for me since it was my first time being down there. But (laughs) there are people who are working on that project who I still talk to regularly, even though we live across the country and by regularly on a weekly basis. Um, And yeah, it's, it's funny. I know that I didn't see you probably for a period of maybe five, seven years after leaving that project. And we've worked together two, two summers in a row down there. Yeah. Uh, so it had been a while since I saw you, but when all of us got back together, it was like no time had passed really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We recreated a, a famous picture. Uh, it was at some taco joint in Austin, Texas. Uh, that was fun to get the whole gang back together when we were there for the SAAs. Um, but yeah, so on all this, I guess if if we can even recall these experiences, the the thing that I I think would be useful to some of the listeners of this show would be uh, to recall what our perceptions were going into the field. What our perceptions of you know what we might get out of the field and kind of where we were going. So you know, for me personally, like. Uh, I chose that project in Belize because at the time my uh, my program at school required a field school uh, credit and that and it had to happen that summer in order for me to graduate on time. However, there was a, a wrinkle in the plan because the university that I was at had put their field school on hiatus. So I was like... Uh, okay, I've got to go somewhere else for a field school. Um, I guess I'll I'll just go. And they had like this big binder full of uh, field schools that they vouched for. And they were like, yeah, these field schools probably don't suck. They're probably not going to charge you an arm and a leg. And so I'm flipping through, looking at the cost of tuition for these field schools and stuff. And I'm like, geez, some of these are so expensive. And I flip through and I saw... Uh, the description for the the project in Belize, they were going to work on some Mayan ruins and the cost was the same or less as some of the other field schools in the U.S. And I was like, well, why wouldn't I go work on some Maya ruins? And for me, it was that was my first time going abroad. So it, it was a lot to uh, digest uh, and a lot to get through. And, you know, it was a real test of my organizational skills uh, just to pull off going to the field school and it's something that you know like it was so stressful to get together and now it's like second nature like that kind of getting through all the paperwork and and making sure like everything is lined up for a field season is yeah i would i wouldn't say it gets any less stressful but uh it takes less of a a burden on me like mentally and emotionally than it used to and it, it was funny like it was one of those sink or swim moments for me going into the field because 
I didn't know if I really wanted to be an archaeologist or even like what that would entail as a career uh, because I had kind of come to archaeology as, you know, almost accidentally. Like it, I, I had tried to be an engineer first and ended up hating it and came around to archaeology and I was just kind of like testing it out. And uh, it ended up being a really rewarding experience. And well, what was what was your first experience like going into I actually, that? I had kind of a similar experience to you. I, I knew that I was interested in doing archaeology. I was told that I should go work on a field project over the summer from my university. Um, I went to, to New York University for undergrad and um, they had encouraged me to look at a sort of a list like you'd set of field schools and many of them were really expensive and I think part of the cost too was it was more expensive to to fly to some of these ones that were um, over in Europe or over in Asia and um, lucky for me I was always interested in Mesoamerican cultures and and, um, the Maya in particular so uh, the Belize project lined up really well with my interest and it was as you said it was a lot cheaper than some of the other ones and um only in price not in experience i should say and (laughs) um, lucky for me and i would encourage if there i don't know if you have any undergraduate listeners or people who are kind of just starting out in archaeology but if you are working with the university a lot of times they will have undergraduate um, field work funding that you can get through a department or they might have some startup funding for an undergraduate project. And for me, I was able to get some funding to go down there. So that, that helped me out as well. But, um, once I got down there, like you said, one of the nice things about BVAR is they send you a big list of things to sort of think about before you leave. So things that you should be packing, um, particular, uh, uh, prescriptions or shots that you should have before you go into the field. And these are things you might not necessarily think about if you haven't been to that area of the world before. Um, And yeah, I remember being very stressed out. I had a really large suitcase for only a few weeks of travel uh, (laughs) because I wanted to be super cautious and pack everything. But um, yeah, like you said, it gets it gets easier the next next time you do it. And thankfully, I think that this type of field school caters to people who are going out for their first time um, into the field and and is really open to, to answering questions prior to travel. So that helped. <laughs> yeah. And recently I've noticed for BVAR, they've got a, a Facebook group where a lot of the um, alumni post regularly. And uh, I see questions posted by you know, incoming newbies to the program. And there's a huge diversity of answers for, for any one question, which is a pretty cool thing. And hopefully that's not intimidating, but you know, it's like, for example, I saw someone from the UK was, was posting like, you know, Hey, my doctor recommends such and such travel shots. Um, but I was reading in the BVAR manual that you guys don't really recommend that. And you know, the, the alumni, posted and and you know there was of course the disclaimer from julie like if your doctor recommends this you should probably listen to your doctor but um (laughs) you know then the rest of the alumni were like i have never had that shot and i've never heard of anybody having that shot so don't worry (laughs) about it yeah yeah it's nice i mean they have a good network there and that's probably one of the good things i think for um people who are going into the field for the first time to 
maybe think about doing one of these bigger field school experiences where they really kind of cater to, to students or just general worry warts like me because I wanted to make sure I was completely covered and had all of my bases covered before I went down there. And um, yeah, I think that that was probably a good way to ease into experiences in the field. <laughs> yeah. And then the experience of the field was you know, everything was new, but for me, I felt like in the month I was there, I learned more in that span of time than, you know, I, I felt like I had learned in the two years prior to that, when I was in the, in the anthropology program in classes. And that's, that's a lot of, 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 I think who I am just, I, I learned by doing, um, but then in hindsight, you know, I, I learned that, it wasn't so much that I, I learned less in classes. It's that it reinforced everything that I learned in classes. It just took a longer time for that to set in. And so, you know, looking back on that, the whole, the whole practice of taking notes in a standardized manner that I learned in the field school uh, is something that, you know, is such an important starting point, but it's, it's built by the scientific method. And so, you know, the way the notes are structured reinforces the scientific method from the very first instance that you're in the field. And then, you know, the types of information that you're recording and, you know, the purpose of recording it, uh, that's all backed up by, you know, research design that, you know, they've, they've been developing that for, I don't know how long the project's been going by now, like 30 years or so. So, it's just neat to see that kind of a thing endure and, you know, stick with me, at, you know, as I've gone to do other work elsewhere. Yeah. I, and I would say too, like one of the nice things about going there, like you were saying you learned a lot was, um, and I'm sure other kind of large scale field schools like this probably offer a diversity of experiences. So, you know, you're not just, going out into the field and slaving away all day without understanding what you're doing. Generally, there's some lecture component. Um, so you understand the regional context or um, the background of the site. And um, I know for us, we also got to do some survey work, not just um, excavation work. And like you were saying, you kind of opened your eyes to make you realize that you did want to go into archaeology. Um, I kind of come in thinking that I really wanted to do archaeology. And then I spent a day in the lab analyzing pot shirts. And I realized I absolutely did not want to look at pot shirts the rest of my life. <laughs> and that's kind of what told me that I was going to become a bioarchaeologist and study skeletons instead. So it's also eye-opening for me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I couldn't me get around me as well. I I came to really enjoy survey, which uh, I I have not encountered many people who enjoy survey, and that was it for whatever reason. It just clicked with me, and I, I really liked it. Maybe it was the instant gratification aspect of it, where uh, you know you're you're just finding artifacts all over the place nonstop, uh, or at least that was our experience. And so I was like, yeah, I, I totally want to keep doing this. Uh, so you know, that ended up shaping kind of my trajectory for several years. Um, I had a heavier role with the survey team the following year, and then I went back for a third year and I was uh, the supervisor of the survey team. And so I was going out with, with students and teaching them basically what my teachers had taught me uh, the, the years prior to that. And it was a really neat experience to be able to kind of uh, move down the pipeline like that. And then 
Um, I, I would say like the way it shaped me or the way my, (laughs) I had a very rocky start to, to working as, as an archeologist where, um, that field school gave me the most opportunities that I had available to me. And I was not a good student back, you know, back home. Um, I wasn't making good grades and I didn't have very strong research skills and the field school helped me overcome that. It gave me a a chance to kind of outshine that. And so, um, you know, it took me a long time to overcome my, my shortcomings as a, as a student, and I got rejected from a lot of grad schools. And so because of that, I, I ended up taking a long break from, you know, going to Belize because I was working in CRM. And, you know, that was just kind of where I was. It took a long time for me to develop enough of a CV to make it look like I was a strong archaeologist. And I had a, a rejection letter, uh, which was nice because not many people will actually send you a letter and explain why they rejected your, your application. But in the letter, they said that they questioned my commitment to the field. Um, and it, I can understand why, because, you know, I'm looking at my transcript and and looking at my CV as a, you know, in those early stages, it probably looked like I had bounced around a lot and like, maybe I wasn't going to stick it out in archeology. span Uh, but getting that letter is one of those things that galvanized me and it just made me like want to prove that person wrong. And so, you know, here I am a decade later, like still committed to the field, still working, still, still doing stuff. And, uh, it's kind of neat. And, uh, but it's also cool how like different, like perspectives and priorities change over time too. So, uh, what's it been like for you to, to kind of go from then to now? Well, I have to say one of the things, like you were saying, it kind of gave you um, confidence and opportunities. One of the things that really sticks with me from the few years that I was doing field school down in Belize, when I kind of first started out in archaeology, is that it, it really did give me the confidence to go out there and trust myself um, when I was put into more of a leadership role um, in a field project. I in 2011, ended up working on a project that was a woman's dissertation project down on the coast of Oaxaca. And we were down there, just the two of us, with another student to help us. Um, We were down there for approximately six months, and we were doing everything from soup to nuts. We were um, surveying mapping, excavating, doing the analyses. I mean, we were really doing everything because it was really just the two of us. And then um, every once in a while, we had another person down there with us. So three of us and then some local workers. And so um, having that foundation, having background, kind of doing all of these different things in the field um, gave me the confidence to, to be able to take on that role and you know it was also a learning experience being part of this different kind of project it wasn't really a field school at all but um, you know more of a small scale dissertation research project and um, yeah they were both valuable experiences and I learned a lot from both of them so um, I would say having that background um, first from the field school was really essential Um, but yeah, I, I think now I, I have to say I might not be the best person <laughs> to talk to on this podcast because um, I'm 
And now that was such a long field season in 2011. Um, I really haven't been into the field much since then. I've been mostly based in the lab since then. Um, and that's just kind of the nature of my research. I, yeah. My my personal research has been lab based. Um, but it doesn't mean that I've done less traveling. I've done a lot of traveling. And oh, for sure. And it sounds like, like to, to just follow up on how that uh, experience in Mexico kind of deepened your confidence in, in your uh, work, you know, like you, you have traveled all over the place and you've done quite a bit of solo work and, and small collaborative work. And, and you've been long term on some of these projects too. Yeah, it's been really lucky that um, I've gotten to work. I've been able to work with some really amazing research groups down in Australia and up in Canada. And um, I'm, I'm still, you know, working with um, the woman who's been finishing up her dissertation with the material down in Mexico. But um, yeah, there's part of me that really wants to get back into the field and do the archaeological field work. But I've learned over time that the the lab work can be just as exciting, um, I guess, for me, as long as it doesn't involve pottery. So uh, <laughs> so yeah, I mean, it's definitely uh, in, involves the same types of challenges in a lot of ways. And I think um, some of the challenges with work-life balance that you experience in the field are, are the same, whether or not that field is based in the lab or, you know, out digging. So totally. And on that note, the, the work-life balance can be a really, really hard thing to, uh, adjust to. And, you know, I think that, um, I, I feel like anybody in any field has a hard time reaching a, a work-life balance, but particularly, uh, you know, both both on the, the contract archaeology side of things and also, you know, w with you doing, uh, you know, physical anthropology on the academic end of things, it's it's not permanent and uh, it's also quite mobile. And those are those are two uh, factors that are big stressors on a lot of aspects of, of personal life where you know, the, the permanence and the, and the mobility are just, um, it's, it's hard to plan anything around it. It's hard to achieve stability and plan for a future when, you know, you don't know where your next contract or where your next university or research position is going to be. And, um, you know, you're, it's just a, a, a fact of, of the research that you've got to move around and, and look at different collections or go to where different study areas are. Um, and so that can be quite difficult on personal relationships. And, you know, in the past decade, I've had a few serious relationships where archeology span was a definite stressor uh, in those relationships. But, um, you know, it, it's on the other hand though, it's not, that's not entirely like a, a negative thing and it doesn't necessarily have to be a negative thing. And I've, I've had a few uh, researchers that I really look up to say that, you know, you can choose to look at it as instability or you can choose to look at it as freedom and the freedom of mobility and, and the freedom of, you know, kind of shaping your, your future is quite a gift that not many other fields have. So I'm, that's something, you know, it's really difficult to make the most of, but when you kind of learn how to work with that and work within that, uh, it's, it can be incredibly rewarding at times. Yeah. I was actually just laughing because 
this is, I was realizing that this is my first summer in three years that I haven't, or four years that I haven't been down in Australia for work um, over the summer. And I was just remembering a few years back, I had applied for a grant to go down to work in Australia over the summer and I didn't hear anything, didn't hear anything, just kind of assumed it wasn't going to going to come through and um, had sort of made plans with my boyfriend at the time to, to take some trips and to work on papers over the summer. And I was had originally planned to leave June 1st if I was going to go to Australia. And didn't I hear back from the funding agency on May 29th that <laughs> I had funding and I needed to plan to leave in like three days. So it can be completely unpredictable and really frustrating in some ways. But in other ways, like you said, it does offer a lot of freedom. Um, I've had um, the opportunity to travel to a lot of really amazing areas for work. And these are places that I otherwise probably never would have gotten to on my own. And um, and I think that the the lack of stability for some people is kind of a, a gift for others. So yeah, try to look at it positively <laughs> <laughs> as I face unemployment potentially. <laughs> that, I feel like that's looming for everyone <laughs> at this point. Yeah, at some point. <laughs> it's been a difficult hundred days. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I, on that note, like on, on the note of employment, where did you see yourself 10 years ago, looking forward, where did you see yourself going? Like, did you have a, a clear idea of, of where you were going to go at that point? Well, if we're talking about when I first got down to Belize 10 years ago, I really thought I wanted to go to grad school for archaeology. And it's so funny. As soon as I came back from working down there, I said, okay, I still really love working in archaeological context, but I do not want to work with material, culture, and artifacts. Um, not that I don't think I need them to supplement um, to supplement my research, but I was so much more interested in working with the human remains um, and, and prioritizing that as um, my focus. And I went back and I immediately started studying osteology and started taking more of the physical anthropology courses and sort of re re rerouted and started focusing on applying to bioarchaeology programs and physical anthropology programs. And, um, you know, even that is a winding road because then I ended up working at Allstate for a year and adjusting insurance while I got the money to take the GRE and apply to grad schools. <laughs> um, because, yeah, it's never really a direct road, is it? But um, I'd have to say I'm pretty close to where I thought I would be for the most part. Like, I'm still in the field. Um, I'm not doing as much field work as I as I used to do, but I'm still getting a lot of um, a lot of joy out of the research that I do. And I am getting to travel and work with some really interesting collections. And, you know, I've had a diversity of experiences both in the field and working in museums and working with other researchers at different labs. Um, so, yeah, it's been, um, yeah, I've been very fortunate. But have you have you seen things kind of? Uh, would you have predicted you are where you are now? <laughs> <laughs> I I think I would have predicted elements of where I am, but where I am now, I I could not have even pictured that. And uh, part of that is, uh, you know, ten years ago when I was going to Belize, I I think it was afterwards, after that experience in Belize, I came back and talked to my advisor. 
And I was like, yeah, I definitely want to pursue a, a at least a degree in archaeology, and then I want to figure out how to make a career out of this. And I was like, what does an archaeologist even do? I, I don't even know. It's funny how there's, starting off, I had this kind of idea that there was, there was going to be a linear progression to how to be an archaeologist. And he was like, well, there's, there's kind of like two paths. And that really shaped my like understanding of it. And it was kind of like you, you either be a, a professor or you be a, a CRM archaeologist and, you know, maybe not working for a private firm, but maybe for the government or something like that. And uh, he really strongly suggested that I go and work in CRM. And he was like, you know, it, there is. And I one of my main questions was, well, what's the money like? Like, what, what can you do with the money? And he's like, well, money's money's not going to be good either way you go, but you could probably make more money in CRM. And so I was like, okay, well, I'll, I'll go give CRM a shot for a while. And, you know, there was, but, uh, you know, him and I had talked, my advisor and I had talked a lot about, you know, what a, what an end game career path looks like in CRM. And he's like, well, someday you can maybe own your own firm, or maybe you can be one of the higher ups at, at, at a big firm. And, you know, then fast forward five years from that conversation, and I was a project manager at a fairly large firm, and I did not, I didn't find it very satisfying. And there, there were certain aspects of it that, that were incredibly rewarding, but then there were other things that, that I didn't like, and and it was just that was for my personal goals. Um, and I'm sure other people would would find other things you know, quite satisfying. And especially the stability of being a higher up at a big CRM firm is, is pretty appealing and rare for the field. But, uh, you know, then fast forward five years from that point, And here I am a, a partner of a startup company and, um, I'm working full time with a, a company called Codify now, and we're developing, um, a, a paperless archeology span system to record data and, uh, you know, we're, we're knocking out both CRM and academic, uh, recording systems. And it's, it's, I'm thinking of my, my workload now as almost like an, an IT person or like a developer. And it's funny how, uh, the things that I wanted early on being like autonomy and, uh, to kind of like have a project that I can shape and see my own vision through, um, I wouldn't have thought that it would end up here. And at the time when, when I was an undergrad, we didn't have any classes on GIS. And that's something that I ended up getting deep into, you know, along my path. And that shaped a lot of what I do. And so now I, I'm, you know, almost like solely focused on, uh, you know, the management of information, whether that's like spatial or all the, all the metadata that goes into that, um, so it's, it's kind of weird, but uh, even though I didn't see this this result, I'm quite satisfied with it. Yeah, it's great. I mean, it's always nice to see how uh, many opportunities there actually are when you think about it. It's There's really not just two paths, like your advisor said. It's, there's kind of many permutations of those different paths. So Yeah, and as the field progresses, even, even as the field has progressed just in the past decade, uh, 
the the many many paths have branched farther and farther and you had said something earlier on in this conversation about how it's it's not linear and that's one of the things that I've really been stewing on a lot lately is is how to convey to uh, early career archaeologists or even undergrads exactly how nonlinear it is. And it's this kind of crazy nebulous thing where it's like, well, if you can imagine it and, and like humans are, are doing something with material in space, uh, you, you can apply like archaeological and anthropological principles to it. Yeah. It, I mean, it's funny. It's definitely one of those things where you, um, yeah, you, you don't really understand how winding the road is going to be. I mean, even when I took the path and went to grad school and, uh, you know, everyone's like, okay, you go, you take your classes, you get your master's, you do your comps, you come up with a project, you do your project, you graduate. And that, in my experience, is not really the case. You then <laughs> you develop a master's project, something falls through with that, you have to develop another one, you finish that, you take coursework, beyond when you're supposed to be taking coursework because it wasn't initially offered. You take your comps, you develop a project, something falls through, you have to be flexible, develop another project. It's like constantly. Yeah. Uh, and meanwhile, you pick up a side job too, because, uh, you, you know, your, your funding is tenuous and, and yeah, on, yeah. it's just crazy. <laughs> like nothing is really exactly how you plan it. And I think that's kind of how everything is in life. And I think, the only differences in this field, you do really have to be flexible because, you know, that your constraints in terms of time for actually doing field work, if you are doing field work, um, it, it can really delay you if you are on a grad school path. Um, if for whatever reason funding does fall through, then you miss a whole field season. And um, I think a lot of students have had to learn to be flexible and, um, and that's probably a good thing in any field, but it's definitely, um, you know, makes a difference, a palpable difference in archaeology. <laughs> yeah, totally. So looking forward, uh, where where do you see yourself going in, in the future? Because you're, you know, you're you're getting towards the end of the tunnel with, with your uh, dissertation and, and your research there. Yeah, so I'm, um, I'm going to be finishing up I'll be defending early on this fall and then actually formally graduating at the end of the fall semester. Nice. And during the fall semester, thanks. During the fall semester, I'm going to be teaching anatomy. Um, I'll be teaching a gross anatomy dissection course at the med school down in Phoenix. Um, and I wanted to get that experience because in my field, um, for a lot of physical anthropologists, um, many of the job openings and postdoctoral positions that are open are often in med schools or anatomy departments. Um, it's just kind of the nature of the job market right now. So I thought that that would be a really nice experience to get before I graduate. And I'll be applying to some um, for some postdoctoral funding, and I'll also be applying to some jobs, and we'll see how it goes. <laughs> That's really exciting, and good luck to all all of those endeavors, and congratulations on on finishing. That's really awesome, and it's thanks. Crossing my face, it happens. <laughs> <laughs> You're hoping it actually works out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nice. Yeah, and looking forward for me, I, you know, this summer I'm going back to Belize. Um, I'm uh, an instructor at a field school. Uh, it's called Afar, and 
we we kind of piggyback on a lot of the work that uh, Bivar does, and uh, you know, in many ways, partner with them. Bivar's you know, uh, focused on, on college research and Afar is, um, more of an educational nonprofit for high school students. And, uh, it's been, I would not have pictured myself being involved in that. And the past four years or so that I've been involved in it have been more rewarding than I ever could have imagined. And it was one of those things where, uh, I got involved, I think when I was still in grad school and, I was a TA in grad school and I, when I started doing that, I thought, man, I don't want to be a teacher. Like I would just be a horrible teacher. I I would be so bad at it. And, um, you know, I, I ended up kind of enjoying it the more and more I got into it. And then, you know, getting involved in afar, I've come to really enjoy it. And, uh, you know, I've had former students, you know, have some really meaningful and impactful things to say about, you know, what, what their experience with me as a teacher has been like. And, uh, you know, that's something that I wouldn't have been able to foresee. And so I, I, uh, see myself maintaining my involvement with afar, you know, as, as long as I possibly can. But as far as codify goes, you know, things are growing with that. And, you know, I, I hope that, uh, with this year being kind of our, our real christening of, of the program, uh, you know, there's going to be a lot of growth and a lot of challenges, but eventually I'll probably end up finding myself in more of like a managerial role and, uh, so on and so forth. So I'll be looking to hire people and I'm, I'm already kind of laying the groundwork for codify PDX out here in Portland. And we just got our first offer on a house accepted. So, uh, looking to be kind of based here permanently. And, and that's a level of stability I haven't had in the past decade. So it's kind of a new chapter of life that I'm stepping into. All that is so exciting. And can I just say, you've always been a natural leader. So firstly, I have no idea what you're saying about being a bad teacher because you would be a great teacher. <laughs> Thank you. You are a great teacher. But no, this is going to... It's so exciting, such amazing developments, and I'm just so jealous you're going to Belize. I'm probably going to just like show up one day down there. Do it. Uh, yeah, I when I was talking to Raph the other day, I'm like, I think I'm just gonna like show up to Belize, walk onto site, just say hey, <laughs> <laughs> just start tagging along to people's activities, just because I miss it so much. You're gonna yeah. <laughs> yeah, we'll put you to work. Come on down. Yeah, I'm down. I will work for delicious uh, rice and beans and stewed chicken for sure. <laughs> and Johnny cakes, right? Yeah, absolutely. All of those things. Yeah, I'm certainly jealous. That sounds so much fun. Nice. I'm I'm jealous of your travels too. You've you've had quite a bit, and uh, you know it's been really really exciting to watch all of the projects that you go through, and uh, you know when when I think of how lucky I am to be involved with any of the, the people who I've met along the way, you know, you're, you're one of the ones that I'm really proud to call a friend. And, uh, you know, it's just awesome to watch you go on and do great things. Oh, thanks. I feel the same way about you and all you guys, like all the people who we met down there and everyone has just been, you know, so inspirational, such great people. So I feel yeah. very lucky. They become family and they, you know, they go on and do some pretty cool stuff. Yeah, I know. It's it's true. There's definitely like a little Belize family. And it is. It's so great to see all the work that goes on down there and what people are doing, even if they've left the field. So Yeah. Well, 
it's been really great reminiscing with you, uh, Kathleen. And, uh, you know, thanks for making the time to join the show. And it's, it's a busy field season, but, you know, I look forward to staying in touch. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll have you back on some podcast somehow, sometime. Oh, great. Yeah, I always enjoy it. Thanks very much. Thanks for listening to the Go Dig a Hole podcast. If you enjoyed this show, please consider uh, supporting it on Patreon. You can go to patreon.com forward slash go dig a hole. Uh, all of your contributions are incredibly appreciated. And uh, I've already been able to do a lot of amazing things with your support. So thanks again. And please uh, share this with any of your friends, colleagues, classmates, students, teachers, whatever. Uh, you can also find me online. I'm very online. Uh, the blog is godigahole.com. Uh, you can find me on all the social media platforms at godigahole.com.